electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. President Biden wraps up the G20 meeting in Asia. Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adeyemo on what's next from China. The thing we should be worried about is the long-term structural challenges China has. Bad demographics, high debt. Ultimately, the challenges that China has, they can solve, but it requires them to put in place reforms we've been calling on them to make for decades. From PayPal to Facebook to a new crypto protocol built on Bitcoin, LightSparks David Marcus with his newest on-chain venture. You have text, which is universal, where you can actually communicate and reach out to anyone you want in the world with one simple addressing scheme. And you can't do that with money. There's no universal protocol for money on the internet. Plus, a sweet deal for smuckers. What really happened with Elon Musk's Starlink in Ukraine and... Both matches were star-studded. I'm surprised you weren't there. I was watching on TV. The U.S. Open crowns the oldest and one of the youngest singles champions. It was so great to watch her win, though, wasn't it? It was. It's Monday, September 11th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. I guess it matters uh, the expiration date, maybe. You know, old Twinkies aren't, uh, aren't good for anyone. Well, I, I don't eat the 17-year-old ones, but no. I, I honestly haven't had a Twinkie in probably no. and, 10 and, years. And but. that's the, the rap. Is that the, it's not, I'm not really sure what, what are they. Exactly. Preservatives. <laughs> Good in a zombie apocalypse. Poor Smucker. Here we are trashing their, their they're so excited I about like, buying Twinkies. I like Twinkies. Twinkies own or Hostess brands. They make other things. Don't they Hostess make or James Smucker? Hostess. Well, James Smucker. Yeah. You know, but Hostess makes other things too. Ho-hos. Ding dong. Ho hos. All those good names. Host- and none of those, I think, contain it. No, I'm not going to say it. They do. There are some natural ingredients. Hostess brands nearing a sale to uh, James Smucker, according to Wall Street Journal. Uh, that said the deal could be worth about $4 billion, could be announced as soon as today. Smucker prevailed in a heated competition with General Mills, the parent of Cheerios and Betty Crocker. Hostess has been through two Chapter 11 bankruptcies. Uh, two investment firms bought the company, brought the company uh, out of liquidation 10 years ago and returned Twinkies to store shelves, the same ones from, no, not from 10 years earlier, but uh, returned them to store shelves after an eight-month absence. Hostess then... Uh, returned to the public markets in 2016. And we have an update for you on a story we told you about last week. On Friday night, Walter Isaacson posted on X and also in an op-ed a clarification of a story in his biography of Elon Musk. His description originally said that Musk had secretly told his engineers to turn off Starlink coverage within 100 kilometers of the Crimean coast so that Ukrainian drones couldn't attack a Russian fleet. He tweeted, to clarify on the Starlink issue, the Ukrainians thought coverage was enabled all the way to Crimea, but it was not. They asked Musk to enable it for their drone sub-attack on the Russian fleet. 
Musk did not enable it because he thought, probably correctly, that that would cause a major war. Musk retreated it, saying in part, much appreciated, Walter. The onus is meaningfully different if I refuse to act upon a request from Ukraine versus making a deliberate change to Starlink to thwart Ukraine. At no point did I or anyone at SpaceX promise coverage over Crimea. Walter will be joining us tomorrow to talk about the book, which is getting lots of headlines already. And that, that, we said that on Friday, actually, because on Friday, Elon had tweeted that it was never turned on in the first place. So it, it, would, it could not, they didn't ask me to turn it off because it had never been turned on. We talked about it on the show, right. that, that he actually said that. So now yeah. Walter Isaacson acknowledging, it, acknowledging right. that. Yeah. The mm-hmm. other piece that I think is important in this is that Elon Musk, to his credit, decided actually in large part because of the power he had in this circumstance that he didn't want this power in the future and that he's building effectively a, a separate version of Starlink for the U.S. government that will be controlled effectively by the U.S. government so that he will yeah, sell that. The government will make those choices. And, and by he the way, those are the, gov- those are the choices the government's always made. It, right. it seems kind of impossible for the CEO of a company. For a single individual to do it. So yeah. I think it's, uh, it's to his credit. I talked to Walter about yeah. all this over the weekend. So uh, we'll be seeing him, of course, tomorrow. And Novak Djokovic won the uh, U.S. Open's men fin- uh, men's final yesterday. Uh, defeating a Daniel Medvedev in straight sets. It was his 24th Grand Slam title and his fourth U.S. Open title. And on Saturday, sure you either saw it or heard, Coco Gauff won the U.S. Uh, Women's Open final. That was uh, awesome, final. too. They were all awesome. See Brad? His fingernails were down to, down to <laughs> like, here, uh, watching Brad Gilbert, uh, one of her coaches. Gauff, who's 19 years old, had won five singles titles, but it was her first... A title in one of the world's four Grand Slam or, or major tournaments. And uh, both matches were amazing and uh, star-studded. I'm surprised you weren't there. Uh, or you weren't there either? I, either I was night? watching. I was watching on Leo TV. Leo and, uh, you know, uh, Nicole and Keith. Uh, it was great, though. Both it both was so great to watch her win, though, wasn't it? It was. Didn't you just love that? I did because that uh, her opponent hits the ball really hard. So hard. But she's the fastest and greatest defender, but she likes to play offense, and she finally did in, those, in the last uh, couple of sets after, after losing the first one. But I was worried, and you could see Brad was, yep. <laughs> Brad was a little worried. And yesterday, I mean, Medvedev, did you see afterwards? He's a classy dude. Yep. Uh, really, I, I really like him a lot, and I felt bad for his wife. It was his anniversary, anniversary. and he had won two years ago. And on, on the same, it was the right. same day it was on, on his anniversary two years ago. Well, I thought Djokovic was a, was a classy guy. He said, I would, have, I would have thrown the game if, uh, if, if I had known it was yeah. your anniversary. No, he said, he goes. That's what he said. <laughs> he did. But he also said to her, happy anniversary. And he goes, I'm not saying that as a, like, as a, <laughs> as a, slam, as a slam. And, uh, of course, then he had the uh, Mamba. Uh, that was his 24th tournament. And Kobe yep. Bryant was uh, number 24. They were close and uh, a, kind of a mentor in terms of the, I can't believe that, uh, Novak Djokovic needed someone to give him a winning mentality because he's got the iron vice of all time on, on uh, the mental aspects of, of being able to win. Kobe Bryant may be the best I've ever seen. I keep going back and watching videos about how he talks about that mental toughness. I mean, he is Inspi- maybe that, maybe it, it, it added to what, what uh, Novak Djokovic, but even uh, McEnroe was back, thank God. I didn't need another... Four hours of, uh, I don't know who the guy's name was, but uh, he's okay. But uh, Macro's great, uh, obviously, and he's ready to call uh, Novak the GOAT, even though he loves Federer. Yeah. 
and uh, you know his idol was Rod Laver, but he's still saying there's just nothing. Nobody's been close it's to this guy. Yeah. No one has been close. Cheese will be next. Coming up, President Biden wraps up his trip to Asia with a stop in Vietnam. Plus, Biden's meeting with the Chinese premier, the Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adeyemo, on stabilizing relations with the CCP. China's responsible for China's slowdown. They made a set of policy decisions coming out of COVID that were very different than the decisions we made. We invested in our people. We made target investments in our infrastructure. China did the opposite, and now we're seeing the repercussions. Squawk Pod will be right back. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. Stand by, Joe. Here's Mike. Q. President Biden uh, departing Asia following the G20 summit and a visit to Vietnam. President said that the U.S. and Vietnam were deepening uh, ties in cloud computing and AI. And the White House unveiled a nearly $8 billion deal for Vietnam Airlines to buy 50 Boeing jets. And speaking about his time in India, President said he'd met with, uh, uh, with Chinese Premier President Xi Jinping's number two, but she was notably absent. I think China has a difficult economic problem right now for a whole range of reasons that relate to international growth and lack thereof and uh, the, the policies that China has followed. And so I, I don't think it's going to cause China to invade Taiwan. As a matter of fact, the opposite probably doesn't have the, the same capacity that it had before. But as I said, I'm not, we're not looking to hurt China. Sincerely, we're all better off if China does well. Join us now to talk about the U.S.-China relationship, Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adeyemo. Secretary, it's good to see you. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. We should never be surprised at, at things we're not expecting, but 3% GDP for the near future, five years for China, was not something that, that I thought, I don't know, we, we get used to uh, that nation accounting for 35% of global growth, and we can't count on that anymore. Yeah, they have a bunch of headwinds in Chinese economy, but as you know well, Joe, they also have a bunch of resources. The thing we should be worried about is the long-term structural challenges China has. Bad demographics, high debt. Ultimately, the challenges that China has, they can solve, but it requires them to put in place reforms we've been calling on them to make for decades. No one thinks that President Xi is in, in any way threatened by, by what's happening. But is he the right guy? He's not 
as powerful as he used to be, the, one of the lead stories in the journal today, is that he's, his consolidation of power uh, means he's not allowing stimulus. I, I've always pointed out that his backtracking on a lot of the private sector modernization that we had seen in China, we've seen that, and that's partially responsible for some of the problems. I think you're right. When you think about it, one of the things the Chinese haven't done is open up to the private sector. And Secretary Raimondo and Secretary Young were there and made the point that opening up to businesses would be good for China because it would create competition in their economy, and not just American businesses, but European businesses and businesses around the world. As you all know, Chinese businesses are able to do business here, sell things to American consumers. We want American businesses to be able to do the same in China on a level playing field. And China doing this isn't only good for our businesses and our workers, it's also good for China. We know that, that China probably wished that the recent uh, trip by the, Treasury, uh, by the Commerce Secretary would have ended in, in a relaxation of some of these new rules. That were, and, and that didn't happen. She didn't backtrack. There's a lot of hawks that don't want her to. But we're partially responsible for China's slowdown, aren't we, in the way we're treating it? No? No, I don't think we're responsible for China's slowdown. We've really targeted a narrow set of things when it comes to China that affect our national security. China's responsible for China's slowdown. They made a set of policy decisions coming out of COVID that were very different than the decisions we made. We invested in our people. We made targeted investments in our infrastructure. China did the opposite. And now you're seeing the repercussions in terms of their economic can, challenges. Can I ask, I, I, here you are telling folks, I think, China should open up and American businesses uh, should should, should try to go there if, in fact, they were to open up. At the same time that we're basically saying we're closing down to, to them in many, many ways. Preemptively, because they're going to take Taiwan right. and all these so other things. I don't really understand. I, I sort of don't understand the messaging, which is, to me, either right, and I hate to say there's no nuance in it, but either either we have a view that there's a real problem in China and we shouldn't be doing business with these, with, with these folks or not. So I think you're right that the key is the nuance. And what we've said is that we are targeting a narrow set of things in China that we're not allowing them to um, get from the United States. But fundamentally, Chinese businesses are able to do business here in the United States, to be able to sell things in America. We want to make sure that American companies are able to do the same thing on a right. level playing field, and the same with our allies and partners in Europe. How concerned, as, to the extent that China's economy is struggling or going to be challenged, how concerned are you about um, President Xi acting out, if you will, uh, whether it be geopolitically around Taiwan or potentially talking about our treasury, you know, if, if you want to boost the yen, I mean, if you boost the yen, if you, you, you want to boost the RMB, you know, do you end up start selling treasuries, for example? So China's going to do what's in China's self-interest. And ultimately, I think that while they have headwinds, they also have the resources to deal with it. They have $3 trillion in reserves, and they have the ability to make investments in their economy. The question is, what choices are they going to make internally? And I think they're going to be internally focused because that's where they right. have to deal but with it. But how concerned are you about the external choice of selling, selling treasuries and what that means to, to our market? Ultimately, there's no better resource for the Chinese to hold than U.S. Treasuries, deepest, most liquid market, and that's why countries and individuals around the world continue to hold them. So I'm more concerned about what China's slowdown means for their neighbors and for Europe than I am about what it means for the United States, given how strong our economy is. I think, Wally, you do believe that it's a nuanced world. I mean, we deal with Saudi Arabia. We deal with, I mean, we, we have to hold our nose and deal with all kinds of, of bad actors uh, in the world. But I'm just trying to figure out what some of them, take Apple, for example, or Disney. There, there are companies that are 
so deeply involved with China, I, I just don't, we must assume that, that they're not going to move, that she won't move on Taiwan for another 20 years because it would, it would, everything would be, all bets would be off if that happened. So I think, you know, when I talk to CEOs, something they've learned mostly from COVID, frankly, was they need better supply chain resilience. They can't have all their supply chains in China. And you're seeing a number of these companies from Apple to companies throughout the economy build supply chains in China, mostly for their Chinese businesses, but also looking to build supply chains in places like India, in Mexico, that give them resilience in order to make sure that it, if one country decides to shut down their borders, they still have the ability to do business. And I think that's what you're gonna see going forward. Ultimately, companies are gonna make the decisions that are in their self-interest, and I think that's why you're seeing a bunch of investments around the world in building up more diverse supply chains. Have you spoken to anyone today about budget problems that are coming? Have anything new for us on how this is gonna play out? Here we are again. I don't have anything new for you, but I think the key thing to remember is that we cut a deal. We cut a deal this summer, and the people who watch your show, the CEOs, the investors, when you cut a deal, the thing you expect is the other side to fulfill the terms of that deal, and part of that is to make sure that we get a budget done. Senate Democrats, Senate Republicans, House Democrats all agree on what we need to do here. Our hope is that the House Republicans also um, find a way to get us to a place where we can get a budget done. I wanted to switch gears for a second. How concerned are you about the potential for a UAW strike and what that means for our economy in the United States? And what role do you think the administration should or should not play in those discussions? Uh, there seems to be sort of a mixed view about what the UAW even wants from this administration. So my, what I know is that the UAW is in active conversations with the three auto companies. Our expectation is that they're gonna to get to a deal. My colleagues, Gene Sperling and the acting labor secretary are engaging in those conversations as is appropriate, but ultimately I think the thing that we have to remember is that the conversation right now is so different than the last time I was in government during the financial crisis that those auto companies are having. They have profits. The question now is how do they make sure that, the, that those profits are divided amongst the companies right. and labor. But so how do you think about the complication of technology, which is to say we're about to move into this new universe, if we haven't already, where so much of the manufacturing can be done effectively by robots. This is, by the way, a similar sort of AI-ish conversation happening in Hollywood right now when it comes to that strike and folks trying to effectively protect jobs that ultimately technology may very well upend. Yeah, and I think the truth is that technology already plays a huge part in building every car. I was out at a Ford facility in 2012 and you had a bunch of technology, but ultimately they still need people. Sure, but does it make sense to require, I mean, this goes back to the issue we're having in Hollywood, which is the writer's room. Does, should, it requ should they require eight or 10 people in a room if two people can do the job? So what I know about each one of these companies is they're gonna do what's in their economic sense. And what they've made clear to everyone is that it's in their economic sense to have these workers and to have union labor. The question- if there, a, if there is a strike though, it's been estimated that it would be $5.6 billion hit to GDP of the United States within 10 days if, all, if there's a strike at all three. Do you have contingency planning for that? Is, there, is this something the administration is thinking through? So I don't have, I'm not gonna talk about the hypotheticals, but what I can tell you is that ultimately what we know is that both sides wanna reach a deal because it's in their economic interest. And ultimately they're talking about how they're going to divide up an economy that's growing for the auto industry because of a number of choices they've made, but also the investments we've made like the IRA. So they're well positioned to cut this deal. That's what we expect them to do, to be in a position where they can continue to grow the US auto sector. And that by doing that, we continue to grow the economy. 33 trillion and counting, I guess. 
Secretary, and it, I think two trillion this year added deficit. We hear the president consistently and a lot of his people bragging about having cut the deficit when it was a trillion last year, and it's a two trillion this year. Are you concerned? What about next year? What 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 should should we not be like perhaps misleading the public about how we've done with the deficit and start tackling it? So I think the truth is that we cut a deal with Republicans. No, no I know. I just down. mean big picture. What are we doing? Another two trillion. No, nope. we haven't cut the deficit this year. We doubled it from last year. I think big picture, the goal has got to be that we take steps to make sure that we have fiscal sustainability. The president's laid out a plan that includes three trillion dollars of. Uh, Bringing down, that will bring down the deficit. I think the question really is that what is the other side proposing? We've proposed increasing funding for the IRS so we can collect some of the money that people who don't pay pay. Ultimately, we have a gap in terms of the money the IRS is owed of about $600 billion a year. If we close that gap, that's up to $6 trillion over so the not, period. It's not how much we spend, it's how much we're taking in. No, I think we the president's also called for certain cuts um, and making sure that we're in a position where we can reduce the cost of health care, which is a huge cost in our economy, by cutting the cost of prescription drugs, mm -hmm. looking at ways that we can cut subsidies in the economy to oil and gas industry. But I think in order for us to get to a deal, you've got to have the other side be in a position where they have proposals that are credible going forward. And the president's willing to and committed to having that conversation to try and make sure that we're on a fiscally sustainable path. Secretary, thank you. Good, good to love having you on set. Up next on Squawk Pod, he led PayPal, he led Facebook Messenger, and he led Meta's payments venture while it lasted. David Marcus on why he's bet his new company, the whole thing, on Bitcoin. Bitcoin is not the currency that people will use to buy things. But a fragment of a Bitcoin on top of Lightning is like a, a small packet, data packet on the internet, only for value. That's right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square on this Monday morning. I'm Andrew Osorkin along with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Got a lot going on. Meta is reportedly looking to ramp up its artificial intelligence efforts. According to the Wall Street Journal, the company is working on a new AI system intended to be as powerful as the most advanced model offered by OpenAI. And the journal says that the planned system uh, would help other companies build services that produce sophisticated text analysis and other offerings and is, uh, is a part of uh, CEO Mark Zuckerberg's push to establish Meta as a major force in artificial intelligence. For some reason, this makes me happy, I guess, because I want, don't you want everybody working on this and the best, yeah, I want all the smartest the, people, the most innovative companies in this, because we want to win in this country. But then I think let's we're hurtling towards an uncertain future with AI, but we might as well win if we can. Uh, so I, I'm glad. I mean, guys, don't you think they got money? They got minds. They got innovation. You but want you, them doing it, but we're, no one's saying but should you know we. They're planning to do it differently, and, and that's uh, probably the most important better? component. 
different well, layers of Well, there's a question about whether it's better, which is one's going to be an open, you know, what he, what he wants to do is effectively an open source uh, approach, and all of the others are effectively closed. The question is if you have it as Even an or open source AI? If you have effectively open source AI, yeah. that means that then you or someone on the street can go take that code and build their own AI. Now, we could argue that it's great competition and it opens up the whole field in many ways, but it also opens up the field to do all sorts of nefarious things because you have access to such code. So if you want to use that code to you know, go hack things, you could do that. If you want to use it uh, for political speech that, uh, or, or, um, or hate speech or other things, that's where it gets very, very complicated. At the moment, the, the system that ChatGPT has put together, the system that Google's put together, um, the system that so many of the other, and the really, well, so many other, there's really only two or three others are doing, are closed and relatively controlled. And so you have to decide whether you like the controlled version or the open version. I like the open. It's interesting. I'm not, I, I don't know. You'll see. We'll see. There, there, the there's, way, a, there's an underlying we, we can't, current, We though. can't babysit everyone all the time. I mean, it, they, they, it's going to happen. Virtually, so. I mean, I, I think from, of the major companies, he's really the only one who's doing, doing it that way. I'm not even sure, and we should find out, whether Elon Musk's approach I don't think is open either. But the debate, I was going to say, the debate that's even taking place is open AI, is it a myth? Like when you ask technologists right. about some of these things, you're still going to have major technology companies controlling it. There's been big debates. Right, Wired no, and that's and the, that's the issue. It's, it, will be, it will be controlled by, by big companies. Right. There's no like question. There's no, there's no such thing as open source AI that's going to be truly open source, I think, is the debate that's taking place among technologists. There was a big right. Wired article kind of right. questioning some of these things. As the latest crypto winter appears to wind down, we'll see whether that's true or not. Our next guest, uh, building a tool to make Bitcoin transactions faster and more scalable. Joining us right now on set is David Marcus, who's the CEO and co-founder of LightSpark. It's a Bitcoin-based payment startup built on the Lightning Network. David was previously president of PayPal and headed Meta's Payments Venture. We used to talk to him many a times after years of leading Facebook Messenger. Good morning to you. Good morning. So we were just saying the, the state of fintech and the state of of payments and, and where we really are, you're working on a new project. I shouldn't even say a new project, but a, a project around the Lightning Network, which is aimed at basically taking Bitcoin. You can explain it better than I can. Effectively, you take it off chain and then put it back on chain to make these transactions faster. Yes, actually, what we're trying to do is turn Bitcoin into a, a real payment, global payment network, because you know we have many tourists walking right outside of the studio right now. If you were to stop one of them and uh, wanting to communicate with them. You could ask them for an email address and you can email them easily the next minute. Uh, you could text them, you could add them to a group video chat, you can do all of these things. But if you were to send them money, if they were not a US citizen here in the US using one of the same FinTech apps you're using, uh, then you wouldn't be able to do that. And so we're still in the fax era of global payments and that's what we're attempting to solve. Right, well, why is that so important by the way? Because the truth is I can use Venmo, I mean, Others can use services that, that are connected to each other. Why is, it so, why is that such a terrible answer? So let, let's, let's double click on that for okay. a second. So you can use Venmo, but if someone is not using Venmo they or can't. is an international uh, right. tourist walking right outside right, right now, but you right can't now send if I have money. an iPhone and I want to message somebody, I mean, if, if I don't have WhatsApp and somebody wants to WhatsApp me, they have to get the WhatsApp app. 
but you have text, which is universal, where you can actually communicate and reach out to anyone you want in the world with one simple addressing scheme, which is a phone number, which is human readable. And you can't do that with money. There's no universal protocol for money on the internet that actually enables value to be transported to, right. through the internet. So if you were to want to send money to one of these people, you would probably need to ask them for a bank account number. The bank account number would be in different format depending on where you are in the world. You would have to actually physically walk to a branch and pay $50 right. to do an international wire. And if it's after Friday, 5 p.m., right. tough luck. And how big a business is that? It's ginormous, right? It's trillions of dollars of transactions that transit through SWIFT and right. other payment networks. Well, right? let me ask you a separate question, which is around Bitcoin. We've watched the valuation of Bitcoin sort of sit around $25,000, $26,000. We've all been questioning, so where does this go? And does Bitcoin ever really become a currency, which is what you talk about it becoming? Do you think the value of Bitcoin needs to or can move up if it's actually a currency? Meaning I've always made the argument the currency problem is if, if Bitcoin is, if you think Bitcoin is going 30 or 50 or $60,000, there's no way I'm going to spend it on, a, you know, a pizza yeah. or on anything, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, if I think it's going to go down, by the way, I might spend it immediately. Our, our, so our view is actually that Bitcoin is not the currency that people will use to buy things. But a fragment of a Bitcoin on top of Lightning is like a, a small packet, data packet on the Internet, only for value. And so you can exchange at the edges of the network and send dollars to someone that will receive Japanese yen on the other side uh, or send dollars to someone who will receive euros on the other side. And uh, the actual net settlement layer that is used is basically Bitcoin, Lightning, and it settles in real time, cash final, and at right. a very, very low cost. One last very technical question. There's always this idea of being on chain, meaning everything is seen on the chain, right? You can always see exactly where everything is at any one point. That's been one of the great arguments about the benefits of Bitcoin. For this to work, my understanding is you effectively are, quote, on the chain, then you go off the chain, and then you go back to being on the chain. Well, if you're, the second you're off the chain, doesn't the entire sort of um, credibility and construct of the integrity of the system uh, get upended? No, actually, not at all, because transactions and payments typically are private. A merchant wouldn't want to have their competitor know exactly how much they were making in sales. And so payments need to be private. Lightning brings privacy, but compliance at the same time. And then it's built on the, the core trust principles of right. Bitcoin, because you can close a channel on layer one and everyone right. is settled. This so is Mr. Bitcoin over here. But if it yes. was 60 or 25,000, it wouldn't matter with your little packet on top of the network. It, it wouldn't matter. It, because you can do it on, at that given time. You're, it, it, so you don't even care where it goes as long as it's still... Correct. The volatility is not a problem because you settle the transaction exactly. in sub one second, right? It's really cool. I like and, that. And, right. But I'm then, just saying yeah. for the purpose of it actually being used to actually buy things. And he's not saying you're using it to buy things. You're just saying you're using it to transfer value right. from one person to another. And that's the... Settlement there's assets. nothing Settlement else that assets. does that now. Right. In, it's a neutral... Yeah. Think of it as neutral internet money, which behaves like the internet. So the no whole story of it. only 21 million and it's going to be mined by, 20, by 2100, that doesn't matter if it's 500,000 dollars per coin, you'll still do it the same way with the little packets as you would at $25,000. Yeah, I, I think the, the algorithmically programmed supply of Bitcoin in a predictive way is actually massively important for the trust in exactly, the underlying but system, but not for the price. I right? got it. Yeah. I like it. Okay. David, thank you for being here. Thank Appreciate you. I'm sorry about that whole Goldman Sachs fiasco. Boy, was that, that's not you, though, Marcus. No, nope, that's not okay. me. All right. All right. And that is Squawk Pod for this Monday. Thanks for listening. 
Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. You can tune into our TV show weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and get the best of Squawk Box right in your ears when you follow this podcast wherever you listen. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.